Hey everyone, David Silton from UH Ventures, and welcome to episode 38 of the Health Voyages podcast series. Hopefully you've listened to 37 already. As a reminder, you can find us at ventures.uhhospitals.org. Very excited today to have my friend and my colleague, John Shanahan, Director of Informatics for the Seidman Cancer Center with us today. We're going to discuss a few topics. We're going to discuss John's role, uh, his role within the organization and within uh, oncology and cancer. Uh, and then we're also going to delve into emerging technologies, uh, an area where John has uh, very recently immersed himself and has begun to to really uh, uh, yield value uh, to the system by virtue of the work that he is leading. And we're going to talk through some of the specifics, some of the use cases, and some of the uh, success stories. Um, I'll, I'll remind the, the listeners at the end, uh, episode 39 is actually going to be with Dr. Randy Vince. Dr. Vince Jr. is the Director of Minority Men's Health at the Cutler Center for Men's Health. And uh, I'm really excited to to get to speak to uh, to Randy when that opportunity arises. John, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. This is always fun and I, I enjoy any time I get to interact with you and, and the rest of the group here. Fabulous. So quick question. Um, informatics, what does that mean? You know, when I first uh, joined healthcare almost a decade ago, I thought that was just a, a, a different way of saying IT, which of course it's not. What is informatics? Yeah, a lot of, a lot of people think that. So informatics is kind of where IT and the uh, te- the whatever you're talking about, and, and here it's healthcare, where, where, where do they intersect? And uh, informatics is, is using all of those great IT tools our, our IT department um, implements for us and, and facilitates the work we're doing. But we're we're not the tools. We're you know don't don't call me when you're when your computer's not working or um, if if you need to uh, you know get a, a new server stood up or something. Um, but you know we're really. Um, we view ourselves as a partner in in healthcare and how do we facilitate better care and better operations and all the things it takes to be a successful healthcare organization. Can you give me an example, a use case where that would sort of elucidate exactly what that means? Well, sure. So um, one of the things that uh, healthcare and, and more specific cancer really struggles with is um, cancer is a cross section of all the aspects of care in a hospital. You have surgery, you have your testing, diagnostics, you have you know outpatient, inpatient, X-rays, you name it. Cancer is going to cross across all those those, those parts of, of of healthcare. And the nature of UH um, in, information systems here, we're, I, I call it a, a system of acquisition, right? So we had our, our core hospitals, and over the last ten years, we, we've acquired multiple more uh, hospitals and other clinics. And with that, we've, we've brought in um, disparate systems for managing that care. So, um, you know, we're in the process of implementing Epic, which will help alleviate some of that. We're always going to have radiology systems, radiation, EMRs, and all these things that the data ends up in, in multiple places. And sometimes it's redundant. Sometimes there's gaps. So um, to help solve some of those problems with cancer being so dependent on knowing all of the history of a patient, and then more important, how do we do research on that information and how do we look forward? Um, we had to create our own um, data lake to bring all of these things together and then normalize that data and, and create data models on top of that. So we have a cancer-specific data warehouse here, which has really enabled our ability to quickly turn around things that you don't find in most cancer centers. So, so that's a, a great example of, of informatics. And, and to do that, we partnered with, with 
people with our enterprise uh, data warehouse and our IT departments. But then within our department, we have our own data scientists. We have um, solutions architects, application developers, um, application architects, um, people that maybe are proficient in a certain aspect of that um, pathology or radiology or um, just nursing, nursing informatics. And, and you know, you enable those people to focus on the information we're looking at and, and the context in which it was created and not have to focus on how do I get to it, right? So we, we try to take care of all those obstacles for um, the doctors, fellows, what, what, you know, whatever the case may be. And, and that's a, a you know, great example of informatics versus IT. We can't do it without IT, but we're not the tools that had to be in place to do those things. Correct, and the and the primary differentiation being, of course, the the data component. Um, so, how did you get into a role like this? Give us a give us a sense of the the arc that you took to get to this role. Did you study this specifically, and this was the end game inside? Or, or well, how this did you didn't exist when I was in college, <laughs> right? So, um, you know, I'm not fresh out of school, but you know, when I was in school, we were the first graduating class to even have a, a computer science track. So we were in the business school. Oh, you are old. I am old. So it was a lot of, um, I had a, um, a minor in accounting of all things. And then it was, it was called business systems management back then. And, um, I originally, uh, set out on the track to have a four-year degree in pole vaulting. But I don't know wow. if you've been on LinkedIn lately, there are very few jobs in pole vaulting. So uh, if, halfway through my freshman year, I realized I was spending more time at practice than I was learning. And I forgot to buy my books before the deadline, and I still had an A in every class. So it told me that academics weren't real strong where I was, and it was time to <laughs> figure out how to make a change. We won't therefore mention the school. We'll I just move on purposely that. won't, yes. Uh, um, but I also wasn't born lucky enough to have a way to, to, to get through school with, without paying for for myself. And back then, it was a little bit different than now. There weren't as many um, you know grants and, and different things. So I was really, really um, fortunate and, and thankful that I got involved in a work-study program um, through, uh, it was Ameritech back then, now it's, it's um, AT&T. And they would sponsor me going through school as long as I worked there for a year first and, and then maintained a, a full-time position. And so I went to school and worked full-time and kind of wandered my way through. And I, I started my career in telecommunications and really what ended up being the the um, the grandfather of data science. So I was focused on looking at um, isolating noise within signals and no different than finding the useful information that's in all of our EMRs. And but with a very specific telecommunications focus. It was very specific to telecommunications, right? So um, how do you isolate electromagnetic noise within the signal? And um, I won't get into too many details of, of, of why I was doing that, but um, it didn't align with some of my my personal values and, and where I wanted it to be in my career. And um, But fortunately, it opened the, the door to work for a startup that was focused on healthcare. And that was my first introduction to healthcare. And through a couple... Um, couple different uh, opportunities. I ended up at the National Institute of Health and with a, a strong focus on mental health and women's health at the time. And that's where I fell in love with, with uh, medical research and kind of shifted my career at that point. That's fabulous. Actually, and uh, ironically, I will be at the NIH next week uh, as part of a, uh, an innovation equity forum focusing specifically on women's health. So, you know, the the indictment statement there is years have passed and we're still not, uh, we're still not an 
in an equitable position when it comes to how we feel, think, act, and uh, and offer uh, what we need to when it comes to 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 our, to woman, woman's health, woman's tech, etc. So uh, a story for another uh, for an, for another uh, episode, perhaps. So I John, bet we'll have some common friends at the end of that conference. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> exactly. So John. Um, Obviously, uh, there's been a lot of evolution and there's been a lot of innovation when it comes to tool deployments and technology overlays when it comes to uh, the utilization of data. Um, talk to us about you know that 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 journey. What's happened from a technology enablement perspective when it comes to the the, the discipline of informatics? So, I, if I had to choose one specific thing that's really enabled the the growth of a lot of the um, informatics disciplines it's it's really cloud computing and and the capability to to process large amounts of information quickly and disparate information not all originating from the same place and then from that a lot of other disciplines have been born um, whether it's 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 um, how do you house data where, where do you move it and find the value in it or how do you do the actual um, like data science on it so where does that get us now that we that we couldn't where we weren't a few years ago? I think that's the buzzword. That's you can't turn the TV on or open open you know your computer without hearing AI somewhere, right? So I think that I wondered how long it would take us to get to that. Did you wonder or did you predict? <laughs> no, I didn't. And how much certainty did you have in your prediction? Quicker. So talk to us about that. I, you know, we're we're leaning very heavily into into the domain, and of course AI is not a new term, and 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 you know the 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 use of you know, language models and and uh, and uh, artificial intelligence. Uh, you know, the the harnessing of the outputs of algorithms. None of that's new. In fact, it's all pretty old. It's just getting yeah. a new naming convention. Why does it seem that AI, maybe more specifically generative AI, is becoming so, so uh, prevalent in the press as you as you mentioned? I think it's. Well, I think that it's gotten to a place where. The interactions can be understood by people that don't have to understand that the hows or the whys, the technology behind it. Large language models like ChatGTP and GTP4, which is even more exciting, um, has has gotten into the place. Yeah, so news, it's easy for them to write be, write a, an article about it or something because there's just so much there, and the interactions emulate. Um, decisions and, and human interactions more so than a computer interaction because the language is involved now. And um, probably if we went around the room here, I would say 90% of the people probably have some kind of chat tool that they're using on their phone. And um, when I was at um, the Predictive Analytics World Conference last week and um, had to moderate one of the other other um, presentations and uh, the presenter didn't have a bio, so uh, we pulled out our phones and put the guy's name in and said, write a, write a introductory bio for Dr. So-and-so. 30 seconds later, I have a full paragraph. I showed it to the guy. I said, this is what I came up with. How do you think? Said, That's really good. Can I use that for, <laughs> for my LinkedIn? I said, absolutely. And I explained how he did it. And that became part of his presentation sure. then about how, how accessible these tools are. Yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's very interesting. I know that you've been spending time with uh, Cal Al Dubai from Pandata. And uh, interestingly, he was a, uh, a guest of mine in a course that I teach at Weatherhead, and uh, I, I asked the class to, you know, provide me a point of view, short essay on some of their learnings. One of the students, in fact, sent me two. He said, I wrote one and ChatGPT wrote the other, uh, but I'm not going to tell you, Professor, which one. Um, it was relatively easy to, to glean. 
but what I did is I sent both essays to to Cal to say, mm-hmm. you know, these are both about you. Which one did the did the gentleman write? And Cal, of course, intelligently responded that I'm going to put them both through ChatGPT and ask it to tell me. And of course, you know, it came up with the right answer. Mm-hmm. You know, fun and fascinating, maybe not too utilitarian. You know, the the, the you know this is a. Uh, um, fun to toy with. But of course, there's some really important, critical, and and hopefully powerful implications that will come from this as it continues to to evolve. But there's a bit of a misnomer, isn't there? The I, the intelligent. You know, you've talked about the it's the it's sort of pattern and word recognition in large data sets, but the intelligence might not necessarily be there yet. And of course, that's what everyone fears is sentience. And when you know when when will the robots take over, so to speak? Just riff around that. For yeah. Me. So I think you know by putting the word intelligence in in AI, I feel that that was more of a marketing ploy than anything because it it does it gives people that oh no the 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 computers are going to take over. I saw Terminator. That didn't end well. Right. Well, it did because they had like, what, six six or ten movies in the series. It felt like that many at least. Um, but re- really, so the, the, the definition of AI that I like best is it's, it's software that's used to recognize pattern. Nowhere in there did I say it's software that's making decisions for you. It, it's recognizing patterns and then presenting the probability of something. Right. And then you react on something that's a 90% probability of being correct or a 9%. That's where the human interaction has to take place and make those decisions. That, that, that makes perfect sense. Give us, give us some examples of how you are using um, AI, broadly mm-hmm. defined, or uh, within the cancer space, within the Seidman Cancer Center and oncology space. So we're using machine learning, you know, a, a form of AI, uh, to recognize patterns in readmissions for patients that had um, surgeries, so post-surgical readmissions. Uh, very interesting for both the outcomes of the patient, but also there's an economic interest in yeah, that as well. Why is that right. important? So tell us why yeah. that's important. So it's important because one, if the patient's being readmitted for something that they had done here, well, that means something didn't go right. It doesn't necessarily mean the procedure wasn't done right. It just means their body didn't react right to something or as, as we would hope it would. So they end up back in the hospital. That's bad for their outcomes. That's bad for their experience. People heal better at home you know, recovery and, and rest and stuff. Um, the interest to the hospital, though, is if, if you're readmitted for the same thing you were seeing, that cost is on the hospital. You know, you're, you're not going to get paid a second time for that. So there, there's a big economic interest to not have that happen. So, you know, things that we can do is look at if we do certain things before discharge, how do we, um, how do we make it less likely for that patient to have an adverse event that's going to have them come back? Got it. We don't want repeat customers that way. We want repeat customers because they had a great experience and they're going to come back for something elective or something else that they're going to do. The ironic uh, business model of of healthcare. Um, So you're beginning to answer the question. You can predict and therefore you can preempt. And uh, I would imagine that there's a learning cycle that happens as a result of of this. Is that correct? Yeah. So this example, um, it was uh, Dr. Alberto Montero. He, he, He came to us and said, hey, I worked on this before and then it, it we didn't get real we got far but we didn't get far enough how do we make this work and and so we we um you know went through where are you in the in the process and what things do we need to look at that's in the data around this patient and not all the things that we're going to look at might be within our data mm. so we also have a partnership with 
with UH and, and Dr. Pronovos has, has worked with LexisNexis. And we look at some of the social determinants of health data. So now we can look at things that are not only what happened here in the hospital, what happened at home. It's right, so a more comprehensive picture. Right, of a, the a full picture of the patients. And what are these things that are risks and the things that we actually have the ability to influence a changeover? So like sometime in, in well, I'm not going to switch, switch projects, but uh, 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 variable like, um, does the person have a college degree? That comes up all the time as one of the predictors of, of a success or failure in some of these some of these things we're looking at. I can't put somebody through college to make them less likely to come back to the hospital, right? So you can't solve for that dependent variable. Right. So find variables that are influencing the outcome that you can actually do something about. Um, it might be a temperature that needs to be taken every 12 hours versus 24 or a follow-up call on day three versus day seven to say, hey, are you having any of these symptoms? Great. Let's do an outpatient visit. Let's address those things before it grows into something that we can't um, you know, fix with an antibiotic or something and it ends up back in the hospital. So this is all very good and all very fine, but have you been able to to witness and measure uh, successes as a result of this? You, you know, what can you tell us in terms of those outcomes? Yeah, so that, that's 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 a great question because ninety percent of all AI projects fail. Okay, is uh, it that high? It is that. Well, I've heard that number. Okay. I don't know if that I'm was, quote that I don't too. know if AI made that up or if, if, <laughs> if somebody else just came up with that. But right. either way, that number circulated a few times. Um, is that in the design or was well, that? Well, I think so. See, what happens a lot of times too is somebody goes, I have this really great technology that can predict things. How can I apply a problem to it? Right. Where our approach has typically been, I have a problem. What what technology or methodology can I apply to this problem to try to, to, right. to fix it? Which is why the segue failed. Exactly. Yeah. So give us some give us some stats to the extent you're 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 able to share. Give us some yeah. sense of how so, this has worked. Okay. So one of the um one of the great successes with, with um, machine learning and AI here was we, we were looking at the time to treatment initiation. So this is a baseline measure for most cancer organizations where how fast you can go from the time a problem is confirmed to the time you can start treatment. So that measures your efficiency as a system, but it also has a, a very measurable effect on the outcomes of, of the treatments. So we looked at a subset of, of patients. Um, we started in breast cancer. We have moved on to other areas. And again, having a strong clinical partner so again, Dr. Montero, he, he was a great partner in, the, in this project, amongst other people. And we, we came up with what's the time to treatment initiation, which you would think that's a simple thing to solve, but it really isn't because uh, breast cancer, that can be found uh, during a surgery. It can be found from a, a mammogram. There's, there's different ways that that patient you know, finds out they have breast cancer. And that's true for a lot of cancers. Um, incidental findings, they call it, as you're doing something, you find something else. And um, so starting the clock, right? So when do you start that? And it can be multiple different things. And then how do you measure when the treatment starts? Is it the first time you receive chemotherapy? Is it surgery? Is it radiation? Um, is it a confirmation of, of we're going to watch? We're just going to watch. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. so there's a lot of different ways to measure that. So um, in order to, to really find a good measurement of it, we had to use machine learning to look at the patterns and, and things. And then how do you scale that for other diseases as well? So we defined the problem. We were able to then create a um, a, a very um, easy visualization of this. Mm. So we used Power BI, which okay. again has been enabled through. Can you tell the audience what Power okay, BI? Okay, so Power BI, that's Microsoft technology. Think about. Um, Excel that can talk to multiple servers at the same time. So the depth of data is much deeper than, than just a, a spreadsheet. So 
that was our presentation tool. So that's the part the end user would see. Now, many other things had to take place with Python and, and multiple tools to get the data to the point where Power BI could represent it. And again, that's a strong partnership with our IT department here who had the foresight to implement Power BI at an enterprise level. So everybody has access to it. And does the output create this sort of decision in support uh, or visualization? Or so, so what is it practically? Yeah, so that that's what's cool about this particular example. So it, it created a visual representation of this patient journey where then you could see and uh, where things were bottlenecking and taking longer than expected. And it wasn't the same answer for every location or every doctor or, you know, there, there are multiple different problems that we could look at. But because it was easy to interact with for a non-technical person, the person that's responsible for these workflows could actually see, oh, here's, here's something that makes sense. Right. How do you measure success? Is it in minutes? Is it in hours? Is it in, in patient outcomes? So for this example, time to treatment initiation, we were able to reduce that time by six days on average for, for the breast cancer. Six days. Six days. Wow. The best commercial product out there boasts that it can only reduce it by reduce the number by three days, not what your total days are. Sure. Yeah. So sure. so we had more than double the double success than the and best can product. you extrapolate or will you eventually be able to extrapolate that that reduction in time to treatment will have some type of measurable impact from the perspective of um, uh, quality of treatment uh, or, or life expectancies or any of these those important So it factors. hits all the major markers, right? So the cost of that treatment for the patient goes down. Mm -hmm. The cost of the hospital system to, to give them that treatment goes down. The um, the success of their outcomes, their survivorship, number of years in, it, you know, that, that, that you would expect them to live now goes up. It, it's very easy to measure, you know, the, the more mortality rate change by the time to treatment initiation. Fascinating example. And uh, I know you've got another 10 and uh, maybe that's a good way for us to to uh, cajole you back for another episode, John. But I want to thank you for um, uh, really lifting the hood uh, or, or uh, to, to uh, use another metaphor, maybe the veil on you know what is somewhat of an obscure uh, subset of, of specialty within our healthcare system certainly from a, a leadership and administration perspective. So I want to thank you. This has been a fascinating conversation. Hopefully uh, folks will uh, have a different sense for uh, the importance of this type of work uh, in this particular use case, as well as uh, make inferences, as well as in terms of uh, beyond. John, what we always do with our guests at the end is, uh, you know, share some of your, your, your knowledge wealth. Um, Anything interesting that you're reading at the moment? So currently, because I had the opportunity to travel last week, so that's, that's usually my downtime to read while I'm on, on, on flights. And with the delays, we always always end up. Yeah, right now I'm reading uh, The AI Revolution in Medicine, Chat GTP4 and Beyond. So it's, it's explaining the evolution between chat, uh, GTP, and GTP4. And it has a lot of real-world scenarios of, of where we are today, what's possible with the technology, and, and possible uses in the future. Um, it, and it touches on things like data hallucination and ethics. It's, it's a really uh, um, it's a great book, um, Amazon. Yeah, fascinating. Yep. And, I, you know, the, the notion of uh, AI quality and, uh, and, uh, and ethics and guardrails and governance is a, is a hot topic, and, you know, unto itself, which we can uh, delve into it uh, at some point. Any podcasts that you, uh, that you enjoy listening to? Well, not I'm going to throw one out there that has nothing to do with data at all. Yeah, it's just a guilty beautiful. pleasure. It's called um, 20,000 Hertz. 
it's all about sound and, and um, I've always had a, a strong interest in, in sound and, and different things. And it, it's really cool. Fabulous. Yep. Fabulous. Well, I want to thank you. Uh, remind everyone that episode 39 is going to feature Dr. Randy Vince Jr. And uh, with that, I bid you all a good day. 